My text this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Twice a year in December and again in April, religion celebrates Jesus. And I'm reluctant to say that they celebrate Jesus Christ because that's not who most folks celebrate. They celebrate who and what they see Jesus Christ to be. In December, people celebrate a baby Jesus who's lying in a manger and living in a stable. And men by nature like a baby Jesus. He's easy for them to deal with and manipulate. Then in April, religion celebrates what they call Easter, and some now call it Resurrection Day. Yet seriously and sadly, most who celebrate this day have no idea of the significance and the necessity of Christ's resurrection. Actually, they have no understanding of the significance of His birth, His life, His death, or His resurrection. God's people don't celebrate a day. I've said that before. God's people celebrate a person. And we celebrate Him every day. (laughs) His birth was miraculous. His death was a victory. His burial was a, a substitution for us. His resurrection is our surety of eternal life. The person that I celebrate today and every day is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Son. He is Jesus, which means Savior. And He's Christ, which means the Anointed One. He's God, the Savior, and the Anointed One. That's who we celebrate. And He's the only one that can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This past week is no different than it is every year at this time. Inevitably, someone always asks, what's your church doing for Easter Sunday? And what they mean is, what special thing is your church doing? And my answer is always the same. Not trying to be smart or ugly in any way. I always say the same special thing that we always do. And it is special. We preach the triumphant birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare, I preach unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. Paul says we preach the gospel that we preach. (laughs) We don't change our message for special occasions. We preach the same gospel we always preach. We tell sinners how God puts their sin away. That's pretty special. And He does so by the sacrifice of Himself. 
Notice closely what Paul says here in verse 1. He said, I declare, I preach in a solemn, emphatic manner unto you the gospel which I preached, previously declared and proclaimed unto you. My message hadn't changed. I'm going to preach unto you the same gospel that I always preach. No new message. There's only one message. Paul says it's the same message I always preach. The same gospel I always declare. You know, when I go out of town to preach somewhere and Gene and Larry and other men stand uh, in this pulpit, I often have folks call me and say, oh, that was such, it was such a good message. And, and you know, I, I'm not surprised at all because it's the same message. It's the same gospel. <laughs> and it's good. It's always good. Paul said, I preach to you the gospel, not a gospel, but the gospel, not one of many gospels. There's only one gospel. There's no other good news. The gospel is an exclusive message. It's a distinct message. It concerns one person and one thing. That's what makes it exclusive. It's concerning one person and one thing. Now the religious world says there are many gospels. Not so. Not so. After all, there are churches on every street corner. There's more denominations and you can shake a stick at. And some say there's one gospel, but it's interpreted by different men in different ways. Our gospel doesn't need man's interpretation. We need God's divine intervention. Big difference. The gospel is simple. The gospel is plain. The gospel is clear. He that hath the Son had life. Now does that need to be interpreted to you? He that has Christ has life eternal. Neither is there salvation in any other. Do you need help understanding that? There's no salvation in anyone but Christ. How about this one? Salvation is of the Lord. Does that statement insinuate that man has a hand in salvation? Salvation is of the Lord. Men and women have no trouble understanding the Gospel. They have trouble with believing it. It's not hard to understand, but it's impossible to believe unless God divinely intervenes. It's not of Him that willeth, nor of Him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And we can will ourselves worthy and run to do good to help God save you, but it, it won't do you any good. Salvation is of God and only He can show mercy. Only He can give grace and knowledge. There's none other name under heaven whereby sinners must be saved. Is that hard to understand? Our Gospel doesn't need man's interpretation. Sinners need a divine revelation given by God. We need for God to give us life. Somebody says, well, I don't believe that. Well, you're still dead in trespasses and sin. 
We don't have the ability to believe until God gives us life. No man can come to me. Why? Because he's dead. Never seen a dead man get up and do anything unless he's first given life. I've seen that in a spiritual way many times. Only one who's alive can believe and only one who believes is truly alive. Paul said the gospel I preach unto you is the same gospel I've always preached. That same message that you receive and wherein you stand. That word means abide and reside and live. That's where we live, isn't it? We don't accept Jesus in order to be saved. Now I want to be very clear on this. We don't accept Jesus in order to be saved, but we must receive Him if we are to be saved. That word accept means a consent to receive. Sounds innocent enough. You think about it. It means a consent to receive. In other words, you lent your will. You uh, consented to receive Christ. You let go and you helped God save you. See, that's what it turns into. I accepted Jesus. I let go. I let God. I gave in. I gave my permission. I consented. And that's the reason you receive Jesus and accept Him, you say. Not so. The correct definition for receive means to be freely given. Freely given without your consent. God gives you life and He says, this is yours, take it. And you take it, you receive it. You know why? Because you desperately need it. Have you ever really, really needed something and someone gave it to you and you go, eh, no, thank you. you know, oh, you need it. I'll take it. I need it. We thankfully took it because we couldn't live without it. That's the difference between accepting and believing and receiving. We don't accept Jesus. We receive and we bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Fortner once said, the preaching of the new birth won't save you. Preaching of the love of God won't save you. Preaching the second coming will not save you. Preaching holy living definitely will not save you. But preaching who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did, that's the only thing that will save a sinner. And it's the ordained means of God's salvation. Don't be surprised if the world calls it foolishness. They have always called it that. That's what it is to them. Foolishness. I've had people look at me and say, you really believe that? And it wouldn't have had to say anything, just the expression on their face told it all. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. It's the life-giving power of God. God said, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That word means well-advised and cautious. My mom used to always say, well, you're from Missouri. I said, no, I'm not. She goes, yeah, you're from the show me state. You don't believe nothing until you see it. Well, 
God's got to show it to you. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. They're all into preaching out there. What else is there? And it's foolishness to the unbeliever, but it's the power of God to the believer. Christ is the way. Every other way is a way to destruction. Did you know that? There's one way to life. Christ is that way. That's what He said. I am the way. Christ is the truth. All other ways are a lie. Now this is, this is dogmatic, emphatic. Christ is the truth. No other truth other than Him. Christ is the life. All other ways are death. That's what He said. No man comes to the Father but by Me. No man... No way, but by me. Do you need that interpreted for you? So what is the message that we declare? What is the good news that we preach? Paul says how that Christ died for our sins. That's what this is about. How did Christ die for our sins? He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In accordance with the Scriptures. According to the Old Testament Scriptures. That's the only Scriptures they had. Christ died as God said He would. Christ died how God said He would. Now what does Christmas trees and Santa Claus and exchanging gifts have to do with the Gospel? These things are not according to the Scriptures. What does the Easter eggs and bunny rabbits and chocolate have to do with God saving sinners? Nothing. These things are not according to the Scriptures. We need to concern ourselves with the things that are. The Lord Jesus didn't... Die for the sake of dying. In verse 3, Paul says that Christ died for our sin. Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people. From what? From their sin. We've got to be saved from something. We're saved from our sin. That sin that so easily besets us and brings us under the condemnation. It's all against God as we saw in the first hour. And God's angry with the wicked, those that sin against Him every day. We need to concern ourselves with that. The Gospel is good news to a sinner because Christ died for the sin of chosen sinners according to the Word of God. In the Word of God, we see that from the very beginning. In the beginning, the earth was without form. It was without Light, it, it, it was without form, it was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's no life unless and until God moves. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God gave light and earth was no longer without form, void, and dark. It's the same with the elect sinner. There's no light until God says and God does. 
Life and life's the result of God's doing. When our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve were naked and the Lord clothed them with the skins of a sacrificed animal. No doubt to me a lamb. Just no doubt to me a lamb, though we're not told. It just had to be a lamb because Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The sacrifice for fallen man must be by a lamb, which Christ was to be according to the Scriptures. And that's how Christ died according to the Scriptures in concordance in accordance to what God said in this book before Christ came into the world. That's why Abel brought a lamb to sacrifice as an offering. That's why he had been taught he'd been taught that by his father Adam and his father Adam had been taught that by his father God. A lamb was slain. The blood of a lamb was applied to the mercy seat. Christ is the believer's Passover lamb. When God sees what? The blood. He'll pass over the sinner. He's got to see blood. Blood must be shed. Abraham, take thy son, thy only son, get thee to the land of, of Moriah and offer your son there for a burnt offering. And when they got there, Isaac said what you and I would have said. Uh, Dad... Uh, behold the fire in the wood. But where's the lamb for burnt offering? And you know, Abraham preached the gospel right then and there. He sure did. What was Abraham's gospel message? God will provide Himself a lamb for burnt offering. That's the message. According to the Scriptures. Same message I'm preaching today. The burnt offering was not provided for by man. Man cannot provide a satisfactory sacrifice. So God provided for Himself and God provided Himself as the sacrifice in the offering and behold the Lamb of God. That's what we do in preaching. That's what you did last Sunday. Larry, that's what you did. Behold the Lamb of God. And we present Him out of the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures. How Christ died according to this book, according to what God said. I'm not interested in what the Book of Mormon says. I'm not interested in what Confucius says. I'm not interested in what Buddha says. I'm not. I'm just not. I'm interested in what God says. And God speaks to us through His Son, through this book. He is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God's Word. So God provided His perfect self in the person of His perfect Son. And that's according to the Scriptures. Christ sovereignly died. No one took His life. He laid it down. Our Lord Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. But I lay down... I lay it down of myself. I've got power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. And the commandment, this commandment have I received of my Father. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. 
This morning I declare unto you the gospel. It's the same gospel I always preach. It's the only gospel that we can preach. It's the only good news for sinners. Some of you have received it. You didn't accept it. You didn't consent to receive it. God revealed it to you and you know it's so. And someone asks you, say, well, how do you know that's so? And you go, I just know that it's so. Because guess what God's Word says? It's according to the Scriptures. If you need more proof than that, you'll have to get it from God. It's according to the Scriptures that you stand upon Christ, the solid rock. And when the rain descends and the flood rises and the winds blow and the streams beat vehemently upon your house, it can't be shaken. It's founded upon a rock. Christ is that rock that the child of God builds upon. And the Gospel is exclusive. I mean, it's, it's an exclusive message about a singular person. The Lord Jesus Christ. He alone accomplished a perfect, complete, finished work for a specific and exclusive people. Amen. Not going to argue about whether Christ died for the whole world or not. There's no, nothing to argue there. He says right here, according to the Scriptures, that's that He didn't. I pray not for the world, but for them that Thou gavest me. Why are we going to argue about that? That's been settled. He died for those that believeth on Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's who He came to save. Thou shalt call His name Jesus for He shall save His people from their sin. That's election. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's good news. God is satisfied. Not with me, not with you, but with Christ and us and Him. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. That's what this is about. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ finished the transgression. He made an end of sins. He made reconciliation for iniquity. And He brought in everlasting righteousness. And He sealed up the vision and the prophecy and anointed the Most Holy. That's justification. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13 It's done. It's finished. We don't preach possibilities. God didn't make salvation possible. God made salvation certain. According to what the Scriptures teach in the Word of God, we preach Christ's perfect, complete, finished work of redemption and righteousness as our substitute, sacrifice, and Savior. God requires perfect righteousness from me. How am I going to get it? Am I going to go out and do a bunch of good little deeds and hope that that does it for me? No. Because we don't do good. We're incapable of doing good. There's none that doeth good. Isn't that what the Scripture... That's according to the Scriptures.
The death of our Lord goes back before Calvary. It goes back to the eternal counsels of God before the world was ever framed. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God ordained beforehand that Christ would save a people and every single one of them is going to be saved. And you can go, well, I don't believe in election. Then you don't believe in the Bible. Our Lord's death was no accident and it was no incident. It was a divine transaction. Who verily was foreordained, foreappointed, predetermined to be our Savior before the foundation of the world. My friends, you won't... You would have never seen a Savior if there had not been an eternal covenant of grace given by the Father before the fall. Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. God would have never provided a Savior if in the purpose and counsel of God from all eternity, Christ was not designated to be our representative and substitute. Like the angels that fail, Adam would have not, would Adam, like the angels that fail, would have been reserved in everlasting chains of darkness until the day of judgment if God had not provided a sacrifice. When the angels fail, God cast them into everlasting chains of darkness. But when Adam fell, God came immediately and he promised to him a Savior, and that Savior had already been provided. That Savior had already been promised. Yea, even before Adam fell. The cross was not an afterthought in the Garden of Eden. Oh, what am I going to do now? I, I heard a man say one time, you know, God's sovereign, and when Adam fell in the Garden, he had a backup plan. Well, a sovereign doesn't need a backup plan. The cross of Christ was born in the mind and the purpose and the counsel of God before He ever made the Garden of Eden. Christ died in the purpose of God before Adam died in the Garden of Sin. God made Christ so an offering for what? Sin. He died the just for the unjust. He came in the world to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, for this cause came I to this hour. You know, uh, electricity existed before man ever found it. Gold was in the ground before man ever mined it. America was here before Columbus ever discovered it. Even so, Christ died at the appointed, at the divinely appointed death, at the divinely appointed hour, but he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior that came to save his own before the world began.
Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. But that's not all that He did. Verse 4, And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And friends, He did rise from the dead. Verse 5, And that He was seen of Cephas, Peter, then of the twelve, and after that He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that He was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, He was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Now friends, this is the heart of the Gospel. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, that means that God did not accept His sacrifice. That means that God did not accept us in Him. It means that Christ was a failure. It means that Christ didn't save anyone. It means that His sacrifice was not perfect. Look down at verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yes. That's what it means. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that He raised up Christ whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished too. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now first, this means that if, 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 if there's no resurrection of the dead, this means that God lied. It means that the Scriptures are not true. Secondly, if Christ is not risen, our preaching is in vain. There's just no need for us to preach. We're just wasting our time and our breath. If there's no resurrection from the dead, our preaching and our faith which comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God is vain. It's useless, it's unsuccessful, it's ineffectual, it's fruitless, and it's unproductive. Thirdly, if Christ is not risen, then we've misrepresented God. We've falsely said there's a resurrection when there's not. That's serious. Fourthly, if Christ be not risen, then His body is still in the grave. He's an imposter and He's not God. You see the implications this makes if He didn't rise from the dead? Fifthly, if Christ be not risen, your faith is vain and you shall die in your sins. If there's no resurrection, there's no salvation, there's no heaven. There's no life eternal. And lastly, if Christ be not risen, then all who have died believing on Christ have perished, having no hope. And Paul sums the whole Thing up by saying, we are of all men most miserable. What does that mean? Well, if our confidence and our hope and our assurance of salvation is in a failure or in a myth, then we have no reason 
to be anything other than miserable. But friends, that's not so. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, according to the Word of God, according to what God said. And God's not a man that He should lie or a son of man that He should repent. Change His mind. He arose from the tomb. He's risen as our representative. And this is why. Verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Not all the world, but all those that believe in Christ that He died for. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at His coming. Now Christ has become the firstfruit of those who were dead. He's the first fruit of them, of them that slept. And more are going to arise just as Christ did. Uh, a, a number no man can number. All the elect throughout all time. My, my. That's, that's going to be a bunch. Man was created. Man By man came death. First man, Adam. Well, his name... Adam means man. It means red earth. Man was created from the red earth. He represented all who were in him, all who came from him. Adam is our, was our federal head. When he sinned, we sinned in him. By man came death. When Adam was created, we were created. When Adam stood, we stood. When Adam fell, we fell. When Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam died, we died. The whole human race was in Adam. But, by man also came the resurrection. There's another man. There's a second Adam. The first Adam's of the earth, earthly. The second Adam is the Lord from heaven. So by man came death, by man came the resurrection of the dead, for in Adam all died, even so in Christ, all who are in Christ shall be made alive. All who were in Adam died. All who were represented by Adam died. I mean to be redundant. Faith comes by hearing. We need to hear it. We need to hear it often. All who came from Adam died. They died spiritually and they died physically. But this is the Gospel. There's a second Adam a second man, the Lord from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Son came down here in the likeness of sinful flesh made of a woman, made under the law to do what? To redeem them who were under the law. He didn't come from Adam. He wasn't in Adam. He wasn't represented by Adam and he wasn't identified with Adam. The first Adam represents all of us. The second Adam is the Lord from heaven. And He came down here to represent a people who were given to Him by the Father. And that, my friends, is the Gospel. In Adam, we lost spiritual life and we died physically. But in Christ, life is restored and we're going to live forever. So the Gospel is not that just that Christ was born or that Christ just lived a 
perfect righteous life, not just that Christ died, not just that Christ was buried, not that not just that he rose the third day, but that he did all these things according to the scriptures, according to what God says. And this is my hope of acceptance with God. My union with Christ makes me one with him. If God accepts Christ's perfect righteousness, and he did, then he is certain to accept mine. Because my righteousness is his. And his is mine. I'm his and he's mine. How are sinners like you and like you and I accepted? Well, Eddie read this in, in the in the men's uh, meeting, Ephesians one four. I'm gonna close with this. Look at Ephesians with me. We'll begin in verse four. We've read these words so many times. I'm sure you read them in your own private study. But let's look at them real close again. One last time before we leave today. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According. There's that word, Gene. According as He, God, hath chosen us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That's the only way we're going to be saved. Having predestinated, predetermined, foreordained us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according, there it is again, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Friends, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be accepted. And then he he confirms that in verse 7, in whom, that's who it's talking about, a person, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according, there it is again, to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. Why? That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. And it's all in accordance, in accordance to the Scriptures. Thank God for the Scriptures. Thank God for His Son. Thank God for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're accepted. 